but there is a time where we need to endure. There's a time where we need to stand strong and we draw our strength and our example from Jesus Christ Himself. He was the ultimate pioneer in everything and we can look to Him, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him suffered and endured. And when we are suffering for the right purposes, we can know that on the other side of that suffering, there's a good purpose. And for that joy set before us, for that glory set before us, keep going. Don't stop. Keep working hard as God leads you. Keep going for that thing that God has called you to do. No matter if there's rejection, no matter if things go wrong, no matter if your plans fall apart, God said so, so I keep going. That is suffering for the right reason. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. So as I was preparing for this weekend, you know, there's a, there's a strong temptation to go back to last year's message and copy and paste. <laughs> I don't know if my father-in-law is here. He's a, he was a pastor for a long time. It's, it's something you think of doing, like, oh, I, did th- I did this last year, maybe I can do it again. <laughs> but I, I want to I always bring whatever God wants us to do right now. And, and if, you've, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I hope that you've experienced this, where you will read the same scripture that you read a year ago or six months ago, and you read it, and it's like the Holy Spirit just shows you a whole other dimension. And you go, wow, that's amazing. And that's what's so great about the Word of God. And that's why we need to keep reading and stay in it and do it diligently. Because when we approach it in that way, in that this is the Word of God, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, there's always more. There's always deeper. There's always greater. Then I believe God will show up and break things open for us. And it's, what's so amazing is it's for all of us. It's available to every believer to spend time in God's Word and have the Holy Spirit break these things open to us. So what I felt God put on my heart is this phrase, royal sacrifice, divine victory, which is our mini-series title for Easter, Passover. So for this weekend, and you'll see the little lamb there and... Uh, and it's because, that, and you'll see there's a theme of the kingship of Jesus. And today's message is, who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? I don't know if, if, how you guys feel, but maybe over the years, especially when you were younger, people will tell you, you have to go to church for Good Friday. And then there's some kind of play, um, some stuff happening there. How many of you walked out of that? more than once over your lifetime, and it didn't really change your life. You just thought, yeah, that was nice. Anyone? I just want to know if I'm alone in this. Okay. I'm sure there are plays around this time that have made impact on people's lives. But what I find is what we spoke about recently is 
it seems that the why of why it happened, the why of what Jesus did, doesn't come across as it should. Because if it really did, then every time people will be cut to the heart and forever changed. Not temporarily changed, forever changed. Amen? Do you believe that? I really believe that. So this message may be a little different than previous Easter messages you've heard. But I'm trusting that God will come and speak to each and every one of us. All right. So I want to I start by asking a few questions. How many of you, when your mom gave birth to you, she, when she tells you the story, she tells you of how she had no pain whatsoever and everything went perfectly well. You just popped out. Anyone? Anyone has a story like that? <laughs> you are a liar. <laughs> Uh, and on the, on the flip side, how many of you, your mothers had very difficult, even dangerous birth stories? Anyone? Yeah. Okay. By a show of hands, who has some kind of health or fitness goal? Uh, maybe you have a dream of taking part in a massive sporting event, like an ultra marathon or the epic or something. Anyone who wants to do that? Who has done that? Who has done that? All right, still want to do that? Okay, great. Now, how many of you that are dreaming of this, you've got this goal, how many of you will achieve this by only thinking about it and visualizing it as you lie comfortably on your bed? But never get up and train. Never train diligently and consistently. Who knows that you, to attain that goal, you will have to sacrifice. You will have to get up early. You have to train hard and long. And then when you take part and you cross that finish line, it was all worth it, right? All that hard work, all that struggle, all that suffering was worth it. Would you agree? Three of you. All right. Very, very soft sense Friday today. How many of you guys train hard in the gym? Anyone? Yochema, stick your hand up. Crossfit. Okay. Do you, know, do you know what physically happens when you do muscle training? The muscles actually break down. They break. <laughs> We're not talking about people who fall off ladders, Francois. We're talking about people who, who, who actually train in the gym. I'm kidding. So, niemand geeft voor mijn mic, niet alsjeblieft. All right, so... so when you train, when you, when you make that bicep curl with a dumbbell, the muscles on the inside actually tear a little. And then they grow back, but they grow back bigger. And the more you do it, the more the muscle grows. Did you know that? So if you want to be ripped for the next summer, you have to start now. <laughs> All right, but who knows? Six-pack is not created in the gym. It's created in the, in the kitchen, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, the point I'm trying to make is this, the fruit of the right kind of suffering is glory. The fruit of the right kind of suffering is glory. How many of you have fallen for a get-rich-quick scheme? One of these pyramid schemes, multi-level marketing network businesses, hoping that, hoping that you will get something of high value 
at no cost or at low cost. Anyone? It sounds nice, right? I'll give you all of this for this little work. Sign me up. Only to, to figure out what? There is no such thing. How many of you have lied and cheated in some way, even if it was in a little way, when no one was looking, so that you can cut a corner and reach what you want in order to get there faster and avoid the pain, the suffering, and the hard work of achieving it the right way? Anyone? There's been moments, right? Okay, we'll have a confession session afterwards. <laughs> the fruit of the right kind of suffering is glory. The fruit for, of counterfeit success withers and dies. Who is this king of glory? Today as we remember and celebrate what Jesus did for all mankind, we'll focus on one question. Who is this king of glory? Have you ever pondered that question? It is our message title and I trust that we will all encounter God through this word today. And that this question will be revealed and also guide all of us to answer some important questions about our own lives. As I was reading the account of what we call the passion story, the passion of Jesus, I was reading it in the book of Luke and I realized there is so much that happened on the Via Dolorosa, the, the, the road of suffering. Via Dolorosa is um, Latin for the road that Jesus walked, the road of suffering. But I thank the Holy Spirit for showing me that we should just focus on one thing. And I'm sure you're glad as well. Because even just to read the whole thing in all four Gospels will take a very long time. So what I'd like us to focus on, almost zoom in on moments of the, the uh, Passover story, the Easter story, is the Last Supper that moment, I want to zoom in on that. We're going to zoom in on the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to zoom in specifically on the questions that the Pharisees asked Jesus. And the question that Pilate asked Jesus. And we're going to look at what the, the moment that the Roman centurion had as the veil in the temple tore. But before we do that, I'm going to look, we're going to look at Psalm 24. We also read this for the worship, but I'm going to take it from verse 1. I want us to get the context of, of where David was asking this question. Who is this King of glory? Let us read together. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend into the holy hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the, from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your gates, your heads, O gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? 
the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. Selah. Selah betekent, all awesome for the moment. Most commentators agree that this was a song that was sung when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And it was a, it was a question. The song was almost like when we do uh, color sports. And you go, who's got the spirit? Yeah, we've got the spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the spirit. How about you? And then the other guys go, we've got the spirit. And so this was almost like a, a call and answer type song. Who is this king of glory? And then they would answer. Or they would sing, who is this king of glory? And David will answer. So it was a song that was sung. And what was happening was that the ark was being brought back. The whole focus is to recognize and praise the king of glory. But who is he? Who are you welcoming? Who are you praising? The Lord of hosts. The king of glory. The ark was what? What did the ark carry? It carried the presence of God. It carried God's manifest presence. And wherever it went, there was favor upon those who kept it. And death to those who handled it the wrong way. Where was the ark usually? In the temple. Which part of the temple? The holiest of holies. I mean, a place where only the chief priest could enter. How many times a year? To do what? To bring a sacrifice to atone for the sins of himself and the whole people of Israel. Amen. He sacrificed a lamb. He brought it before the ark, the presence of God, behind the veil in the holiest of holies. No one but the priest was allowed past the curtain, the veil. Who is this king of glory? Whose presence is hosted in the temple of God, in the Ark of the Covenant? It's the King of Glory. All right, so I wanted to establish that. I wanted you to see that that was happening in that moment when this question was was asked. Now we're going to look at Jesus' journey to the cross. So we're going to read together. We're going to do a lot of reading, all right? Come on, Javi, be excited. Luke 22 from verse 7. Then came the day, okay, so firstly, this, the Last Supper, this is our first thing I told you earlier, that we're going to zoom in on, we're going to zoom in on the Last Supper. Then came the day of unleavened bread. Listen to this, when the Passover must be killed. That really did nothing with you guys, all right. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went and found it just as he said. And they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That would have been really cool if it was Selah in the song. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled 
in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. I'm going to read the scriptures of all these zoom-in moments, and then I'm going to talk about them, okay? I'm very tempted to already talk about them, but I'm going to be disciplined. The garden. Luke 22, 41 to 44. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Listen to this. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The questions by the Sanhedrin. Verse 66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And then they go on accusing him of blasphemy. And they take him off to, Pilate, to Pontius Pilate. Then we read in Luke 23. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked, them, saying, asked him saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, it is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And they go on and on and on. Crucify him becomes into that gap there. Now we skip to the moment where the veil is torn and a centurion has a revelation. This I'm going to read from all three or two other Gospels as well. Luke 23, 36 to 47. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him in letters in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, he will be with me in paradise. Now it was the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Let's read the same bit in Mark and Matthew. Mark 15, 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out. Like he saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Matthew's version, 27, 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Can you imagine that? And coming out of the graves after his resurrection... They went into the holy city and appeared to many. So that's like an interesting side note, Matthew. What, like he's sketching a whole zombie movie there. But that's, that was what, that's also a fulfilling of scripture. Anyway, that's a different message. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly and said, truly, this was the son of God. Okay, did that, just by reading that, did that do something in your spirit? Really have to work on the, the passion, but anyway, hopefully Jesus' passion will come into all of us today. So now I want to give you some thoughts around these scriptures. The Last Supper, who of you were here last week when I spoke about Palm Sunday and Jesus getting the donkey and, okay. So I'd like you to notice the similarities between the scene that we see around the Last Supper and the one we read last week for Palm Sunday. Again, here, Jesus gives two disciples an instruction. He tells them to go, like he told the guys who fetch a donkey, he told these guys, you're going to um, find a guy with a pitcher of water and you, he's going, you're going to ask him for a venue. Can you imagine that? <laughs> So they, uh, let me just get myself up to speed here. So Jesus instructs him in a similar way. Um, they will find a man with a picture. They must approach him and tell that, this is what they must say, the teacher. So with the, with the donkey, they had to say, the Lord has need of it. With this guy, they have to say, the teacher wants the upper furnished guest room prepared for Passover. And it is done. Imagine, random stranger walking with a pitcher of water. Hello? The teacher wants a room. Okay. Can we imagine that God had already spoken to that man even before it had happened? Or should we imagine that in that moment he just knew that he had to just do what they say? It would be interesting to hear his story one day. But do you see again, Jesus is training his disciples. 
If I can send you to get a donkey, and if I can send you to get an upper room ready, then I can trust you with the gospel message. I mean, he's giving instruction that doesn't make sense, that involves faith and obedience to fulfill, and that could cause awkwardness and embarrassment. Imagine they walked up to the wrong guy. Imagine there were two guys walking with pitchers of water. Uh, but obviously that didn't happen because Jesus knew. Okay. And in their obedience, they prepared the most famous meal of all time. And they didn't know it. They didn't know it. And then Jesus tells them once again that he will suffer. He's telling them, I'm going to suffer. He's telling them, this is my last meal. And he equates his body with bread and his blood with wine. Can you imagine that? Hearing that for the first time. We've read it over and over and over again. Imagine you're sitting there. You've been hanging with Jesus for three years. And he's telling you about eating his body and drinking his blood. Imagine hearing it the first time. That could be kind of, that must be challenging, right? Anyone? Okay. And right there, he fuses himself into the most sacred time of the Jewish people, the Passover. What is the Passover? It's the celebration of what God did, rescuing his people from the bondage of Egypt and putting them on a path of freedom to the promised land of milk and honey. They remember how the last plague that made Pharaoh say, okay, I will, let you, I will let your people go. It was the one where all the firstborn sons died. Unless, unless they put blood, the blood of a spotless lamb on their doorposts, then the angel of death would pass over your door and not take your son. The Israelites, Israelites had an unfair advantage by knowing that they needed to do that. I'm not going to give everything away. Okay. And here we see God's best, God's firstborn son, the firstborn of many brethren. Remember that message I preached on the firstborn? He was the firstborn of God. He was the firstborn of many brethren. He is preparing to suffer. He is preparing to die for his people. Okay, the scene in the garden, let's go there. In the garden scene, we see how Jesus is praying fervently. He's on his knees pleading with the Father that what was prepared for him, his whole reason for being there, his whole mission, the suffering that lies before him, he was pleading with the Father that it would be taken away. Even Jesus wanted to somehow find out, is there not another way? Is there not a shortcut so to speak. But he said, not my will be done, your will be done. Listen to this. And then what happens? It says he is strengthened by an angel. And then it continues to say he's still in agony. And he prays even more fervently. How many of you have prayed, please Jesus help me, take this away. And then you just feel stronger in your spirit, but you're still going through it. Jesus, God sent an angel to strengthen Jesus, not to take the pain and the suffering away. He was still in agony. He was sweating blood while being strengthened to do what he needed to do. Can you see that? The angel doesn't come to take his distress away, doesn't come to take his agony away. He doesn't come to rescue him from his mission. He strengthens him to fulfill his mission. 
And immediately after that, we see um, how he keeps going and he's got the strength to do so. I want you to see that the Son of God in his most vulnerable and anxious time knelt before God, was strengthened by an angel, but it did not take the suffering away. Let us go to the questions from the Pharisees. They ask, they ask him two questions and Pilate asks him a third question. It, is all, it has all to do with his identity. All of it. Who is this king of glory? Are you the Christ? They ask him. What does Christ mean? Does anyone know? Anointed one. The anointed one to be the Messiah. Anointed to be the rescuer of his people. They've been reading it in the scriptures. They know the Messiah is coming. They know the Christ is coming. Christ is not Jesus' surname. Did you know that? It's not his last name. It is who he is. Jesus means saving, to save my people. The Christ means the anointed one. He's the anointed one to save his people. That is why it's important for us to also pick names that actually mean something good for our children. Then they ask him, when he says about being raised hereafter, so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about what will happen hereafter. Hereafter what? After his suffering, after his death, and after his resurrection. What is he saying? I will go and be on the right side, on the hand of power. And then those Pharisees lose their minds, tearing their clothes. Ah, how can he say this? Blasphemer. They have the man who they've been waiting for right in front of them. But because he's not coming to rescue them from the Romans, which they thought was their context, they couldn't recognize their Savior. They had a preconceived idea. And Jesus disappointed that preconceived idea. They couldn't see him for who he was. Then they drag him off to Pontius Pilate. Why? Because these, let's just call them lost Pharisees, don't even have the power to do something. They have to go to the authorities who they're trying to get out of power. Now they're going to these authorities who they want out of power to do what they want to do. Also interesting. And they say, he's saying he's the Christ. He's saying he's the Son of God. Pontius Pilate makes the jump to, are you the king of the Jews? Specifically. So in what they were saying, he must have picked up this guy claims to be royalty. So he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? He says, yes. And in his way, he has confirmed all three. I am the Christ. I am the son of God. I am the king of the Jews. Who is this king of glory? He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the King of the Jews. I, I, I was preaching off the cuff now, so I don't, I've lost my notes. Anyway, let's cut to the veil 
and the centurion. This is such a powerful picture. Can you imagine this guy? <laughs> I, I wanted to read all, all three of the Gospels because in Matthew it says the veil was torn in two, but in, in Mark, oh, sorry, in Luke it says it was torn in two, but in Matthew and Mark it says it was torn in two from top to bottom. And we have to read all of these things together to get the whole picture. Why is that significant? Because we need to know there's absolutely no more division between the outer room and the holiest of holies. What is in the holiest of holies? The ark. What is in the ark? The presence of God. What did Jesus do? He tore the veil in two. He made a way for us to be one with God the Father. The veil was torn in two. Can you imagine being that centurion? I mean, he couldn't have known that the veil tore because that was happening in the temple. He, but what he saw were rocks splitting open, the whole place going dark suddenly, and things happening. Imagine suddenly seeing some guy climbing out of a grave and walking past you. You know, just, just have that moment, guys. That happened. Imagine that. And he suddenly, he was the tool of the torture of Jesus, and he's looking at this man, and he gets a revelation. When he sees all of this happen, he's like, that sign on the cross that says this is the king of the Jews, it's true. And he gets a revelation. This was a righteous man, says Luke. The others say, this is truly the son of God. He only realized it once he had already killed him. Once he had already breathed his last. Once the suffering was complete. The centurion's life was forever changed. The reaction of the centurion should be, of our, should be our reaction when we look at Jesus and what he had suffered. How he handled his suffering. And what the fruit of the suffering was. All the supernatural signs that followed made him realize that this man that he had mocked and beaten and ridiculed and spat on and gave sour wine to, he is indeed the Son of God, the Christ, the King of the Jews, the King of glory. He is indeed that. I want to draw your attention to two other scriptures. Because I think without us realizing it, we've been, let me put it this way. I think, if, especially if we grew up in a traditional church of some kind, we've been the victims of propaganda in a way. We've been fed a picture of Jesus that makes us think he is weak. That makes us think that, you know, why did he take it? Why did he not fight? Why did he not defend himself? Like he's, he's innocent. Why? We can ask all those questions. We can look at this, this picture of a broken body and that is the picture. And then, they, then to make it worse, you know, he always has, in the pictures, he's got this blow-dried hair with a white robe and a blue sash and he's white with blue eyes. And we think that's Jesus. I'm pretty sure he did not look anything like that. 
But it's not about what he looked like that I'm trying to get to. It's what we think of him and who he is when we see those pictures that we've been seeing since we were this big. Do we see the king of glory and what that means? Do we see that? Because if we, if we just see a man who told some nice stories, died on a cross, rose from a grave, we don't really know why, that means nothing. It changes nothing. It becomes part of your culture and you just go to an Easter service every year. But it has to be more than that. Do you agree? All right, so listen to this. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance to the the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who is this Jesus? He is the guy who for the joy, the joy, the joy, the joy, that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame that went with it, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Did he look joyful in the garden of Gethsemane? What was happening there? He was dealing with his feelings. He was dealing with his flesh. But in his spirit, he had joy set before him because he knew the mission. John 13 verse 3, Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. And then he bent down and he washed his disciples' feet. He never doubted his mission for one second. But in order for him to do what was needed to be done, his flesh had to die. In the spirit first. In that decision, not my will, but your will be done, that's actually when his crucifixion started. Because then he got up, he was arrested, and the rest followed. Do you see that? Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16 This is John saying, Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he would strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the King of glory. This is the Jesus that died on the cross. How many of you have seen this picture? A white-haired, blood-soaked, sword for a tongue, Jesus on a white horse. 
He is the King of glory. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God, the firstborn, the firstborn who had to die first so that we can follow, so that we can overcome. Because He overcame, we can overcome. Jesus knew His identity. He knew His calling. We know that from what I just said in John 13. Because His identity and calling was clear, and because He had intimate trust in the Father, He pushed forward and persevered and took the momentary, although horrendous, suffering upon Himself. Because He knew what glory awaits. He knew what joy awaits. For the joy set before Him, He endured. And from Revelation, we can see that this glorified Jesus is awesome. He's powerful. He's majestic. He's the ruler of the hosts of heaven's armies. And he knew that he is that person even when he was suffering on the cross. He knew that that's who I really am. Did you know that he was so badly beaten, you couldn't recognize that he was a human being? But this body was not who he was. Now, this Jesus who led by example, he wants us to know that we first and foremost need to discover or remember what he did for us. We have to remember who he is, why he did what he did, and what it means to us. Who of you know why Jesus died on the cross? Why? Why did he die? Why did he have to die? I got you, boy. He died because we are all sinners. Because of the fall of man, all mankind, falls short of the glory of God. Who is this King of glory? He is the King of glory. We fall short of the glory. So what did he do? He had a rescue plan in place. All of us, apart from Jesus, deserves eternal death in hell, apart from Jesus. We all deserve that. You don't go to heaven for being a good person. You don't go to heaven for going to church. You don't go to heaven for having Christian parents. You don't go to heaven for doing the right thing according to the world. You don't. Good people don't go to heaven. People who have lost their lives in Jesus go to heaven. People who suffer with Jesus go to heaven because they know the joy set before them. And once we've recognized that and we remember that, we also need to recognize today who this King of glory is. He's the Christ, the anointed one. He's the Son of God and He's the King of the Jews. And why did he do it? Because his people he created lost their identity in him and the result was sin. And then they did things contrary to our heavenly design. It was in, what we did was in line with this broken world. And we are led by the prince of the power of the air. But we need to come and be led by the king of glory. And the last thing that we need to recognize today is that he is an example to us 
in how we should approach suffering, how we should approach tough times, how we should approach the stuff that we won't so easily complain about and talk about all the time, all the suffering, all the stuff that's wrong, all the things that's not going right in my life. If you are born again and you truly love Jesus and you find yourself struggling, going through a hard time, suffering, know that sometimes suffering is part of the process and it's a necessary part of the process. Just as you know that I can't have muscles if I don't gym, you need to know that you can't get to a next level in your spiritual walk if there isn't some suffering. You can't go to where God wants you without the, your flesh constantly dying bit by bit by bit so that only your spirit is left. Amen? We need to realize that in our Savior's death was necessary momentary suffering for an eternal betterment of all mankind. And yes, it is monumentously way more important and way bigger than anything that we are suffering. But even in that, we need to take note and go, okay, how do I deal with suffering? And I'm not talking about suffering that you created yourself <laughs> through sin and bad decisions. That's why my, what I said earlier was um, the right kind of suffering that you have to go through. If that is the suffering that you're going through, you can ask God for strength. You can ask Him for support. He will give it. But He won't take the suffering away if it is necessary for where you are going. Let's not have an expectation of not suffering if we are children of God. There's enough scripture where Jesus promises we will have trouble. James 1, count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way. Romans 5 verse 3, glory and tribulation. Jesus himself says in Matthew, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for in me you will have peace because I have overcome this world. 1 John 4, 1 John 5, go read it. It talks about how by faith we overcome this world. But there is a time where we need to endure. There's a time where we need to stand strong. And we draw our strength and our example from Jesus Christ himself. He was the ultimate pioneer in everything. And we can look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith, who set the joy, uh, who for the joy set before him suffered and endured. And when we are suffering for the right purposes, we can know that on the other side of that suffering, there's a good purpose. And for that joy set before us, for that glory set before us, keep going. Don't stop. Keep working hard as God leads you. Keep going for that thing that God has called you to do. In the Sons of God group, we're busy with this amazing book called Multiply. And we spoke about the importance of diligence this week. That if God has told you to do something, keep going. No matter if there's rejection, no matter if things go wrong, no matter if your plans fall apart, God said so, so I keep going. That is suffering for the right reason. Some people take the scriptures in the Bible that's about suffering for the gospel and they apply it to their own little problems. That's also not what I'm talking about. You're not being persecuted if your business is not performing the way you want it to perform. That's not persecution. And some of the things you blame the devil for may be of your own doing. So just make sure you know why you're going through what you're going through. 
Okay? Today we're talking about suffering that is important and part of life with Jesus. And we see His suffering, but also His glory as the way that we need to do this. Amen? Does that make sense? Wonderful. All right. As we end off, I just want to pray for everybody here today. Lord, I pray just your blessing on everyone. Lord, I pray that you will bless each one here, every marriage, every family, every child, every home, every business that's represented here, every workplace that's represented here. We just pray your blessing, your protection, your guidance, your wisdom, your strength over them. We, we put on the armor of God and we stand on the word of God in Psalm 91 that says, if we make you our dwelling place, you will um, keep our home safe from evil and pestilence. And we stand on that word today. And Lord, as we go out here, I just speak, your, uh, speak life and healing and, and strength over each and every one of us. And Lord, we pray that we will always live from who we are in you and our spirit being and not from our bodies and our souls, but from that place of who we are as a new creation in you. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.